Our gospel for today comes from Luke, the fourth chapter. Then Jesus, filled with the power of the Spirit, returned to Galilee, and a report about him spread through all the surrounding country. He began to teach in their synagogues and was praised by everyone. When he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. Then he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. This is the gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our creator, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was a kid, I took swimming lessons, as many of you probably have. Over the course of five or six weeks, one summer, I went through all the steps, you know, moving from a goldfish to a regular fish to an octopus, and I think it was a dolphin or a shark at the end. I'm not positive. Anyway, however, in order to pass the very last class, I had to dive off the edge of the pool into the water. And for whatever reason, that terrified me. I was up the night before just crying. I imagined all the things that could possibly go wrong, the worst case scenarios. What if I dive in and hit my head on the bottom and I can't swim back up? What if I dive in and forget how to swim back up? What if I dive in and hit someone else and hurt them and myself? What if I dive in too deep and I can't hold my breath that long and I can't swim back up? Clearly my mind was trying to rationalize the fear of drowning, even though at that point I knew how to swim pretty well. My parents lovingly and patiently sat with me and encouraged me, telling me that I could do this, reminding me over and over again that this was a safe place to try this. There were lifeguards, there were experienced teachers that I'd been working with all along who had done this for years, and who would help me and make sure nothing would happen to me. In my panic state, of course, none of this helped. And so my parents finally said that if the time comes to dive in, and I really didn't want to dive in the water, I wouldn't have to. But my mother, who is very clever, also said, but if you don't, you might be missing out on an opportunity to do something you love. As it turns out, the fear of missing out was greater than the fear of diving into the water. And so the, even the knowledge that I didn't have to do it, though, calmed me down. And when I came time to dive in, I was still really nervous. I was standing in a line of people at the edge of the pool, my heart pounding, my body trembling, waiting for my turn. But then I saw a couple other kids dive in. And, well, they didn't die. And then I saw my swim teachers. Yes, there were even two of them that day to make sure everyone stayed safe. And they were patient and encouraging, smiling, telling me I could do it. So finally, I took a deep breath. I closed my eyes, and I dove in. 
and I loved it. I did it two more times that day, and I continued to do it for the rest of my life. I still love swimming to this day. Fear, anxiety, nervousness, doubt are all natural reactions to trying or doing something new. Even changing a routine and a way of life can be scary. But new beginnings and trying new things also bring hope and incitement and the promise of joy and fulfillment. I can only imagine what the people of Israel felt as they prepared to enter the promised land for the second time. The first time, of course, um, was 40 years before when God's people were led to the edge of the promised land by Moses, you know, the one who with God's help had freed the people from slavery in Egypt using miraculous signs like the 10 plagues, being led by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, crossing the Red Sea on dry land and then watching Pharaoh's army be engulfed by the Red Sea. You know, little things like that that might assure them that God was with them. But at this edge of the promised land, the people sent scouts to go and check things out, and the scouts came back and reported that there were giants living in the land. And the Israelites knew that they were not trained soldiers, They didn't know how to fight. Not to mention some of them were probably horrified at the idea of killing another person, especially when their law, which God gave them, clearly stated that they should not kill. They were afraid. I know I would have been. So at that point, they couldn't take advantage of the opportunity, and they had to wander in the desert for 40 years. Now, even though the writers of Scripture who told this story depicted this wandering in the desert as a punishment, in reality, what choice did they really have? If they didn't want to go back to slavery in Egypt, and they weren't ready to take the promised land that God had given them, then the only option would be to wander in the desert until they were ready, which was where we come to our reading for today. Now, I'm sure the people were still afraid and anxious and nervous. No one ever wants war and killing, especially not God. And after 40 years of wandering in the desert, many of these people either weren't alive or were too young to remember the miracles that God did to lead the people out of slavery. I have to say, I don't envy Joshua at all, trying to fill the shoes of Moses leading this ragtag group of people into battle with no combat experience whatsoever. So that's why God tells Joshua, and by extension, the people of Israel, be strong and courageous. Did you note that God says this three times in this short passage that we read today? God also promises twice to continue to be with the people. God is encouraging them to dive in. Now, I know this story in the past has also been used to support horrible acts by Christians and are still used today. There's the Crusades, white Europeans coming in, slaughtering peaceful Native American tribes in the name of Christ and taking their land. There are even Christians today who support the hostile takeover of Jerusalem with the belief that it will be the impetus of God's return to earth, ushering in the kingdom of God. Personally, I don't believe these are appropriate uses of this passage. 
And I certainly don't hide or shy away from the horrible truth of this. In, in fact, as Vance Black Fox, who will be coming to speak here in October, will tell you, truth-telling is the first step toward healing. I will also not try to hide the fact that the people of Israel did take the promised land by force. But for me, the difference is that the people of Israel were a comparatively small, again, ragtag group of nomads that no king or ruler would ever take seriously enough to give them land to call their, their home or even entertain making a land treaty with them. After all, as you remember, God did try to plead and reason with Pharaoh in somewhat peaceful ways nine different times to simply free the people from slavery in Egypt, not even to give them land on which to live freely. And we all know how that worked out. For me, the powerful message of this passage is twofold. First, whenever we are strong and courageous in trying something new, when we choose to dive in, so to speak, God promises to be with us, to help us, guide us, and support us, oftentimes leading us to experience great joy in the process. And two, we don't have to be perfect in faith or have all the talents we think we need in order to try something new. In fact, I believe it's just the opposite. As pastor and professor Sarah Garber says with regards to this passage, to live into the promise of the new land, we have to go further in. We have to dive in deeper. This is not the faith of fake it until you make it. No, this is the faith instead that says live it until you believe it. Faith comes from practicing and living into God's promises, not the other way around. And God knows this isn't easy. It wasn't easy for the people in Jesus' day either, nor was it for Jesus. In our gospel for today, Jesus starts to break down people's ideas of who God is and what God's purpose for the people is, as well, excuse me, as, well as their expectations for the coming Messiah. Here, Jesus takes two of God's many promises to the people of Israel and sheds light on them in a new way. Jesus says, and quotes, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then Jesus says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is telling the people that God's goal and purpose for the people is no longer conquering and taking power with force and violence. That didn't work out so well for the people in the past, even when they were a great nation. Greed and power corrupted and enslaved them instead, and the people started suffering in a different way. They suffered from the brokenness of the cultural and religious systems at work. They suffered from hunger and starvation. The people were being treated unjustly and unfairly due to illness and situations outside their control. That was not freedom, nor the life that God wanted for God's people. And that is why Jesus brought this new vision and idea to the people, a challenge to live life differently. 
And this change, this new beginning, was terrifying for the people, especially those in powerful positions. They were so scared of diving into this new vision of what God's kingdom could be, what the world could be, that immediately following this passage, they first tried to stone Jesus. In the long run, as we know, they killed the messenger, God's very self in the form of Jesus. But the power of God's love overcame that fear in the form of resurrection, promising us a new way of life, a new, think, a new way of thinking, and a new beginning each and every day through the gift of baptism. As Paul states in his second letter to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Sin, brokenness, or the idea that you somehow don't have enough faith to do something, to dive in, can no longer hold us back from trying something new. There is nothing holding us back except our own fear. Today, in the fellowship hall, there are many different opportunities for you to dive in, so to speak. And I encourage you to talk to the people there, to learn about the different opportunities and ministries that we have here at Holy Spirit, the ways in which we believe we are filling, fulfilling God's promise in this day and age, and possibly win some fabulous raffle prizes in the process, right? Today, you may not be able to take on something new at the moment, which is totally okay. But this is a safe place to try something new. There are people here who will guide you and teach you and cheer you on. And you might just find that this new thing that you try will bring you great joy and fulfillment in the process. But above all, remember that no matter what you do, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Amen.